Blog Talk Radio. With me today, I have a Brookings Institution fellow, John Hudak, who is a voice that we've used quite a bit on this issue. He's very poignant in his thought process about uh, guns. John, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me back. So, John, let's talk about New Zealand, I guess, and the Prime Minister and her actions. It's so different from the reaction here. Why is there such a polar opposite reaction with the government in New Zealand versus here, first of all? Well, first off, in New Zealand, you don't have a culture that in some areas is just constructed around guns. And it doesn't, uh, in New Zealand, create that sort of scenario that we have here in the United States where there's this idea of an entitlement to any type of weapon in any type of circumstance under any type of circumstances. And I think because of that, it creates this uh, greater shock and this greater call for some kind of solution and a meaningful call for a solution that we just don't have here. Hmm. So the right to bear arms is not uh, something that um, is is a call to action there like it is here. You know, the Second Amendment here, they don't have that there. Exactly. You know, there's this um, near obsession in the United States, um, at least among some, over uh, this, this right and that this idea that the right um, cannot be checked. You know, in this country, we have expectations that the First Amendment, um, right to free speech and peaceful assembly, um, that there are limits on that. We understand that there are limits on a variety of rights that we have. But for some, and and culturally driven by organizations like the NRA, that there is this idea that any infringement, any check, any limitation on an unlimited right to bear arms uh, is this uh, almost uh, intervention with the divine. This is coming between the right that God has granted you uh, and your ability to exercise it. That doesn't exist that way in New Zealand. Well, tell me this. So New Zealand is not alone. Um, You have other countries uh, around the world who don't really uh, have this gun issue. Could you talk to us about some of the other countries that, um, you know, they, they, I guess they, because I think I was in Switzerland. I know it was in Switzerland. You know, they were talking about when, you know, they have guns, but it's no big call to action, as you say, and, and, and it's meant, the guns are meant in case, basically, of some kind of war or unrest. Is that true? You know, the different uh, expectations and different beliefs around guns vary from uh, place to place around the world. There are certainly places that uh, see the ownership of guns as something used primarily for sport. Um, there are certainly areas, both both peaceful places and uh, war-torn places where um, the understanding of guns is for uh, serious personal protection, whether that's from an invading army, whether it's from civil unrest or what have you. Um, But generally, around the world, uh, guns are rare. Um, They are not expected to be part of uh, common society, and there is an expectation that they are used for Uh, proper purposes by proper professionals. That isn't the case in the United States, but around the world, that tends to be more the case. 
So in the United States, there was just recently um, a, a, a bill that passed in the House, which people were surprised. Talk to me about that. Um, you know, we haven't seen gun control legislation. What does that do in a long time? I mean, you know, we, we continue to talk about gun control, gun control, but there has been some, some kind of curb uh, on guns. Uh, assault weapons recently. Talk to me about that. The um, legislation that passed the House, H.R. 8, um, was an expansion of background checks for transactions around guns. It tries to close off loopholes over, over who is subject to a background check given the nature of the transaction. So it extends those background checks uh, to private transactions, for instance, online transactions, um, sales at gun shows, and and that is an important way uh, to close off avenues that individuals might have uh, to accessing guns uh, when they should not be. Now, it's, of course, not to say that H.R. 8 solves the challenges uh, that exist in this country. There are plenty of people who commit crimes, either large-scale shootings or what is, uh, you know, the, the type of violence that claims far more lives in the United States, and that's interpersonal violence, especially domestic violence involving a gun. Um, they purchase those in legal ways. But what HRA tries to do is tries to close off avenues tries to stop people from having certain means of access without claiming to solve the entire gun violence problem in uh, the country. And universal background checks are something that are nearly universally supported among the American public. Well, this has been an issue for a very long time because I was hearing uh, these issues as it relates to uh, the gun shows and things of that nature. Um, How big is this loophole issue? You know, the loophole issue is uh, significant. Uh, There are uh, quite a few guns that are purchased at uh, gun shows. Uh, There are a lot of other types of private transactions for firearms. And the problem is not simply who is purchasing the gun, but the purpose for which they are purchasing the gun. Uh, When you're not having background checks, uh, you can allow um, a variety of people who either want to use firearms directly um, or who want to then peddle firearms illegally uh, to do so. And I think in our society, people who want to commit gun violence are going to find ways to commit gun violence. And... uh, Simply having background checks is not a solution. But any way that we can make it harder for individuals who want to commit acts of violence to do so gives police more time to uh, find them. It gives family members or friends more time to, uh, you know, call the police and say, I, I think I, ha- I know someone who's looking to commit an act of violence. Uh, and while we have a gun violence epidemic in the United States, um, I think one of the uh, understated uh, actions that happens here are people preventing gun violence because they are seeing online or they're listening within their family what people are talking about. And when you have people like that, if you have one extra day or two extra days to prevent that, that can be a good thing. Hmm. So as it relates to the gun situation and the legislation that just happened, um, do you expect the Senate to pass it and the president could possibly, if it does, the president could have a second veto, correct? Uh, I 
do not think the Senate is going to pass this legislation. Um, anything that uh, has to do with a uh, the uh, gun control in this country uh, is something that the Republican Party is allergic to. Uh, I don't see Mitch McConnell bringing something up for a vote, particularly um, as he enters re-election uh, next year in Kentucky. Uh, this is something that is likely dead on arrival in the Senate, even if it could get a majority of support within the Senate. Mm, wow. So at the, at the end of the day, where are we um, with this president, the NRA, and the Republicans on the Hill as it relates to gun control? Well, this president Republic, and Republicans on the um, Hill are wholly owned subsidiaries of the NRA. It's as simple as that. What the NRA wants, um, this president and uh, this Republican Senate and other Republicans in Congress will do. Um, the threat that Republicans perceive the NRA playing uh, in Republican Party politics is too overwhelming to allow Republican uh, representatives to respond to the public will. What happened to that debate? You know, after we the Parkland issue, what happened to that that debate about teachers in the schoolhouse carrying guns? I mean, that is just you can't police with that. You can't. It's just a crazy thing. Where are we with that 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 proposal? That proposal is dead in the water as well. You know, I think um, we expect a lot out of our teachers. Um, we don't pay our teachers enough. We expect teachers to educate and babysit and discipline and be psychologists and social workers and do a lot of things uh, without having the respect in some places even to pay them a living wage. But when we then ask them to be police officers and first responders, um, I think for most that's a bridge too far. And, and frankly, um, you know, I think all of us uh, can think back to our days in school and know uh, one or two or a handful of teachers who would be the last people on earth you would want to have a gun in a classroom. Uh, and I think when you have a rigorous uh, training regimen for most other professionals in our society who are charged with carrying a firearm, why you would then extend that um, to the classroom uh, is something that is very difficult for a lot of people to understand. So at the end of the day, 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, what does the issue of guns in your opinion look like versus uh, the rest of the world and will it get worse before it gets better? In the United States we, we have some evidence that uh, there will be stronger gun control in the future when we simply look at opinions about gun control uh, based on age demographics. Uh, older people are more supportive of uh, you know, a, an, an essentially unfettered right to bear arms, and younger people are much more vocal about supporting not just universal background checks, but more extensive uh, types of gun control. Now, people can change their mind over time, uh, and what millennials think now may be different than what millennials think in 20 years, uh, but I think that the future would suggest uh, that, or I mean, it would those numbers would suggest that the future has in store uh, some level of increased gun control. Um, in increased gun control. It only takes people with a heart for it to make it happen, though, however. That's right.
Yeah, and the question is, where is the heart right now? Yep. Um, <laughs> where is the heart? And I mean, it's this is something that's not just in urban America. It's not just something that's now in uh, rural America. It's not just something in one community versus another community. It's everywhere. But you know, before I let you go, um, the face of a gun control, on, I mean, the gun owner, excuse me, John, before I let you go, the face of the gun owner is now being publicized in a different way, especially with Parkland and all of these schoolhouse shootings and, and all of these uh, mass shootings that we've been reporting on uh, in this nation. They're now putting a face on black people and, and, and younger people who want to go to, to um, shoot for sport or shoot for game. Why is that? Why are they putting a different face on than, than the guys, the trappers or whatever, or the people out there in the woods with their guns or just people? these Republicans who just say they have a right and they're going to use their right? You know, I think uh, the face of a gun owner in America is not something that is uh, unitary, right? There's not one gun owner in America. There are millions of reasonable, safe, well-intentioned gun owners, and they are people who uh, use those firearms to go out and hunt and keep a firearm perhaps in uh, a drawer for self-defense just in case, uh, but they're not out there trying to commit acts of violence. Then we have another face of America where people do have firearms because they intend to commit acts of violence or act irresponsibly with them in other ways. You know, there are a lot of gun deaths in this country not because someone grabs a gun and wants to go out and kill someone, but because a gun is left on a table and a child shoots himself or, or a friend. Because a gun is available in a household and someone who's suffering from depression decides that that is the solution to their problems. Uh, gun owners in America and, uh, you know, uh, perpetrators of gun violence in America also have very different faces uh, when you look around. And so I think it speaks to the idea that the solution in this country is not to get rid of all the guns. Um, but neither is the solution in this country to put our hands in our pockets because the problem is too complex and too diverse. That's true. Well, John Hudak, as always, thank you so much for joining me on the record with April Ryan. It was wonderful to talk about a real serious issue about guns and gun control and just how we have to cope now and in the future with this issue that's um, deadly. Thank you, April. With this week's On the Record, I'm AURN White House correspondent April Ryan. Don't forget to subscribe to On the Record on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review. On the Record, a product of American Urban Radio Networks. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. Ugh, no, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird.
You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Para la familia Mendoza, empezar el día oyendo esto es algo habitual. Por suerte, ir al bosque y terminar el día escuchando esto otro es posible. Ese respiro que tu familia necesita está a menos de 90 minutos. El bosque, más cerca de lo que crees. Entra en descubreelbosque.org y descubre el bosque más cercano. Un mensaje del Servicio Forestal de los Estados Unidos y el Ad Council. Parece que fue ayer, papá. Me acuerdo cómo lloraba. No yo. Sino lo que había dentro de la casa. Mi primer perrito. No dejaba de chillar hasta que lo sacamos de la caja. ¿Recuerdas cómo brincaba y me lamía la cara? Yo me reía. <ríe> Ay, cómo nos reíamos. Gracias a ti, mi perro y yo nos volvimos grandes amigos. Casi tan buenos amigos como tú y yo, papá. Nunca se sabe cuáles recuerdos son para siempre. Por eso, toma el tiempo y hoy sé un buen papá. Para información marca el 1-877-432-3411 o visítanos en www.fatherhood.gov Mensaje del Departamento de Salud y Servicios Humanos de los Estados Unidos y el Ad Council Funny hesitation of our hearts 
that's never really been sure I can't keep on trying If you are looking for more Than I can give you Or even what you came here for Gonna find me somebody Not afraid to let go I want a no doubt be there kind of girl And you came real close Every time you build me up You only let me down And everybody knows Almost does not count Running back to me, baby, from that cruel, cruel world. You almost convinced me that you're gonna stick around, but everybody knows almost doesn't Everybody knows Almost Doesn't
never listen to beat, yeah. Boy, was it neat, yeah. Not just me, she was so neat when she did the freak with me. Never listen to beat, yeah. Didn't work, no. It wasn't fucking no
power mashup, the awesome iPhone, on the Rockstar Metro PCS Network. Get the iPhone you've always wanted for zero dollars, so you can jam without limits. It's a hit. Get an iPhone SE on us when you switch. Metro PCS. Coverage not available in some areas, plus sales tax and $10 activation fee. Requires portent of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or on Metro PCS in past 90 days to an unlimited LTE plan. See store for details and terms and conditions. Blog Talk Radio. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're glad that you are able to tune in and, and listen live to the podcast show. And if you are a first-time listener, we thank you for joining you and the law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Um, we want to remind you that uh, this is a live broadcast, and if you miss any parts of this broadcast, um, you can definitely tune in at thebachelornews.airtime.pro thebachelornews.airtime.pro, and uh, and also the calling number to the show is uh, 646-929-0130, that's 646-929-0130, and today we're going to be talking about a topic that um, has not received a lot of uh, media attention, especially in the uh, black community, and so we're going to be talking about um, the issues with uh, when when um, when the media and police fail missing people of color, and um, so th- there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, individuals, uh, especially men and women and uh, Native Americans who do go missing, who um, do not receive a lot of media attention, uh, as such as do other people. Uh, we can kind of go back and look at the Gabby uh, uh, Petito case, who received a lot of national news attention when she went missing. Um, and so we're going to be talking about that, but there's a lot of other things that's going on in the news as the Rittenhouse uh, case is now. The jury is deliberating that. And in uh, Georgia, where the Ahmad Aubrey case, uh, the prosecution has rested and the defense will be uh, presenting their case. And, you know, the case in Georgia has received a lot of uh, news attention uh, because you've got an attorney who has openly said in court that uh, they didn't want any more black pastors inside of the courtroom. And so, you know, we're going to be talking about that uh, as well as uh, our main topic on
on uh, the missing, uh, how missing uh, African Americans are treated uh, in the media and in law enforcement. But the, I want to touch on the uh, case in Georgia with Ahmaud Arbery, which where the defense attorney, is, I'm pretty sure everybody has saw this on the news, where he stood up and said, hey, we uh, don't want any more black pastors uh, coming in our courtroom. We've got enough black pastors right here in this community. Why are why is Jesse Jackson and why is Al Sharpton them coming into the courtroom sitting with the family? You know, it's definitely something wrong with our criminal justice system to hear somebody who is representing his client who is on trial for murder of Ahmaud Arbery, but he is spending a lot of time arguing before the court that uh, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, and other um, uh, pastors should not be in the courtroom. And, you know, if you're listening to to the show, definitely uh, go to the chat room, share your comments in the chat room at the bachelornews.airtime.pro or uh, at the call-in number. If you're listening online, uh, the producer will screen your calls. If you can come on the show, you can definitely talk with us. And, and share your, your thoughts about that because it just goes to it's a broader issue with how the criminal justice system is working and the fact that you've got somebody who stands up in court and openly tells the court that no more black pastors should come into the courtroom and uh, with this man's family sitting in the courtroom. So I can't understand how... Jesse Jackson or Al Sharpton would intimidate this person or his client to want them not to be in the courtroom. And the judge uh, definitely stated that the court has already made their decision that uh, they weren't going to put any type of restrictions on anybody coming into the courtroom because it is an open court to the public uh, as long as it does not uh, interfere with the with the court proceedings. Uh, this attorney was kind of way out of line by making a motion and actually asking the court to for a mistrial just because of these two individuals coming into the courtroom. So um, a lot to talk about. And then, of course, the the Rittenhouse case is uh, is in the jury. And um, if you watch a lot of uh, national news. CNN, MSNBC, there's a lot of people who have criticized the prosecutors in how they have handled the case, and will this young man actually be uh, held accountable? Will he be found guilty? Uh, a lot of people have cited and stated that they kind of made a good case because, you know, for self-defense. And so uh, I just don't see how a 17-year-old who is taken to another state by his mother um, and with an AR-15, with an assault weapon, who claimed that he went there to offer medical assistance and to protect people's property. And at the age of 17, when you don't even have a job, and I think this is one thing that I have not uh, heard anybody say through these court proceedings, especially on the prosecutor side, is that this is a 17-year-old kid who should have been in school, who should have had a 
been at a job, but nothing about that has come up and the fact that his mother took him across state lines to go into another community. And he tried to say, well, you know, my dad lives in Kenosha, and but, you know, he that is not his primary residence uh, in Kenosha. And so it is um, – there's a lot of things to me that should have came out, uh, and that's just one of them with the fact that you're going to charge this young man with a curfew violation, which, hey, you had a lot of people out past the curfew in Kenosha, but you don't raise up the question of why was this young man there? What was the need for him to be there at the age of 17 carrying that type of a weapon? Uh, what could he do? Uh, to protect himself with a bunch of grown individuals and the two men that he killed, one was 26, I believe, the other one was 30, and he seriously injured another. So these are all grown men, and this is a kid in a grown man's world, and you, you don't really bring out the fact that here is a kid, here is a mother who put her, who put her 17-year-old in the position with grown people, what can a 17-year-old do who is, who is not a trained medic, who has no type of medical training for him to offer any kind of aid to anybody? They didn't say he was CPR certified or didn't say he had went to any type of uh, school for any type of medical to provide medical care, but he took it upon himself, and he even said in court, I was there to offer medical assistance to people. But your 17-year-old, how much medical care and assistance can you provide to people when you're not even trained to, to even, if you did see a gunshot victim there, what could you possibly do uh, at that age and you're not trained and you don't have the proper um, proper equipment to, to take care of that person. So, But uh, I want to remind you that if you just now tune it into the show, uh, the call-in number is 646-929-0130. If you miss any parts of this show, uh, go and check us out at thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. And if you're not following you in the law, definitely go to our Facebook page at you and the law one. Uh, we're also on Instagram, that's you underscore and the law, and we're also on Twitter at you and the law one. So definitely go to our social media, uh, follow us, like us, and um, or you can definitely uh, stay in tune with the uh, with the broadcast show. So my co-host is not going to be uh, joining me this afternoon. He has some other obligations that he has to uh, attend to. So. It will just be me, and uh, hopefully I may be able to get on our producer, L.A., to come on and kind of speak with us. But we're going to take this break, and we come back, we're going to get back into the, to the topic of how the media and law enforcement uh, deal with people uh, missing of color. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Now you can increase your yields by using Conklin's Guardian Slow-Release Nitrogen Additive. Guardian holds your nitrogen in the root zone where it's needed over a longer period of time. 
That, in return, can reduce your nitrogen rates. That saves you money. And whether you want it in a dry or liquid formula, Guardian helps in reducing groundwater contamination, too. So save your money and be a good steward all at the same time by using Conklin's Guardian. I want to feel the heat with somebody. Yeah, I want to dance with somebody. With somebody who loves me. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. We thank you for joining us on the Bachelor News uh, Radio on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We want to invite everybody, if you're um, listening, wherever you are, uh, that you uh, dial in and listen at the Bachelor News at airtime that pro. But if you do have a question or comment, hit us up at uh, Bachelor News at airtime.pro, the Bachelor News at airtime. Uh, dot pro or hit us up on blog talk radio look up the you and the law broadcast and you can hit us up on uh, on in the chat room uh there and we invite your questions i'm not going to hog up the time uh for you uh chief green um as much as i uh, can go back and forth with you as i can um but I, I will say this, a lot of people are like, you know, what do you expect in this case? You really think that this, this kid's going to get off and you, you know what I mean, the, the judge has already basically said, you know, the laws are not adequate, but that's not his job. His job is to interpret and enforce the law, not what he wants it to be on the books. And, you know, for me personally, his, you know, this kid's mother is the, the devil and this kid is the demon, uh, the spawn of that. Um, but as it relates to your your question, um, your people in D.C. and metropolitan cities and particularly young women and particularly young teenage girls that are missing, that nobody says anything about, Chief Green. Let it be lily, you know, sweet poly pure bit, right? And they got the face up there, and they're doing a cover story and everything else on the sun. So I guess what you would say, or should you say to your audience, what would change? Because I... I I know people who have lost people. We we've done stories on this this show about um, women 
of color just disappearing in D.C. alone. D.C. alone. I didn't even say the whole the, the country. D.C. alone. So what say you about people being optimistic about anything that would change at this point? Well, you know, L.A., one of the is very disturbing, the fact that um, so many uh, people of color, uh, including Native Americans, uh, have go missing, and there's very little, if any, uh, news media coverage about it, even on a local level, and you definitely won't see it on a national level. And so you've got these families who are seeking for answers, and uh, they are not receiving the the same type of treatment as did the family of the young lady who was missing out of uh out of Salt Lake City, I believe, Gabby uh Petito, um, which gained instantly gained a lot of nas- uh, national news attention. Um, you know, law enforcement used every resources they had to to look for this young lady. Uh, and so you know, you have to ask yourself, why uh, aren't those same resources used for any person, no matter what race they are, to, to find them? And, you know, L.A., one of the, and to our listeners, one of the alarming numbers uh, while researching uh, and getting prepared for this show is that uh, in 2020 there were over 80 9,000 active missing person cases. 45% of those were people of color, and that's according to the FBI uh, information that was released by the uh, National Crime Information Center. And so why is it that when you've got 45% of people of color, but we only make up about 13% of the of the population in the United States. And so you've got people who have criticized the, the news media uh, about how they uh, report on missing people of color, and uh, those stories are amplified in the fact that, you know, stories about missing uh, women of color don't receive the same type of of, of uh, acknowledgement, and so there's a lot LA is owed to the families. And and so when we, you know, <clears throat> I want to talk on one case in particular that uh, is very disturbing that took place um, here in Oklahoma. Um, we had a, a 60-year-old black uh Female who uh, was ended up in a city about 65 miles uh, north of Oklahoma City. Um, she, for whatever reason, walked into uh, some people's home in a city called uh, Tonaqua, Oklahoma, and um, these people didn't know her, so they called the police. Uh, she was definitely not where she thought she was should have been, 
and uh, she told the police that she thought she was, or she told the police that she was actually in Muskogee, Oklahoma, which Muskogee, Oklahoma, is on the on the east side of, of the state of Oklahoma, and this lady is on the north side of the state of Oklahoma. So she was hours away from where she thought she was at. Um, so the police uh, contacted uh, several mental health professionals uh, to try to get her um, uh, committed for a, a uh, mental health evaluation. But these group, these two separate mental health professionals said no. Now, the police did not agree with that. They tried to do everything they could to get this lady uh, where she could be, you know, evaluated. But there was some pushback. And so, you know, you have to ask yourself this question in this day and time, if that had been a 60-year-old white female or a 60-year-old white male in the same circumstances, would this mental health profession said, yeah, we, you can take her to this facility so she can get, um, you know, some type of medical uh, evaluated. Now, they even tried to get the family uh, of the home that she walked into just to get her into custody they wanted to see if this family would uh, file uh, a trespassing charge on it, but they wouldn't. But we're coming up and taking our uh, – almost taking our next break, but this is a really important topic uh, when we talk about uh, the uh, black and missing uh, people across the country and how these cases are treated and uh, the fact that they don't receive, if any, local news media coverage at all. In the case that's involving uh, the lady in Oklahoma City, uh, I think maybe one news outlet covered it. Uh, since then, another major news outlet did a in-depth story on it because it was really concerning the fact that the last people that she had contact with was law enforcement. And so there was some speculation that could law enforcement have done a lot more knowing the fact that this lady um, was disoriented. She really didn't know where she was at. Uh, but they did reach out to an older uh, a sister of this lady who is still missing. And this took place, guys, this took place in September of 2021. She has still not been found. And so several days later, her car was found abandoned on a major interstate in Oklahoma. Her cell phone was in the car. All of her personal property was in the car. So she just vanished. Nobody knows if she was picked up uh, by a motorist who thought maybe she was hitchhiking or something. There is absolutely no clue where this lady is at. And so you've got here's a, a family who is trying to find out where the loved one, where she's at, is she safe, but they did reach out to a sister, and according to the sister, this uh, lady who is missing uh, 
has a history of mental health illness, and this sister told the officers that due to her age and due to the fact that she had been dealing with her sister, uh, she wasn't in the position to come and pick her up. And so uh, basically she just kind of said, hey, I don't have the time and I don't have the, the means to come and get her because she has done this before. Now I'm going to say this, and to all our listeners, I think if you're dealing with somebody in your family who has mental health illness, you know, when law enforcement reaches out to you to ask you to come and pick up your, your family member, uh, and there are some doors that are closed because of just some things that you had to deal with in the past. And I, now that sister is probably regretting the fact that she did not take the time to contact other family members or she herself did not tell these officers in this city to uh, hold her sister there, that they were going to come and pick her up, where she could get back uh, safely to Oklahoma City. Um, but if you're dealing with people who have mental health illness, um, it, that's not the time to turn your back on them and to, to feel that, uh, hey, you've done all that you could for them. Um, because, again, here's a lady who has been missing since September and it's November. And so um, in this situation, a lot of people felt that law enforcement could have done more, but there's only so much that you can do. Um, and in my opinion, I think that they probably should have just gone ahead and taken her to the police department and utilized other resources to contact other family members until every person that she knew was exhausted, and then a decision should have been made as to what, just don't let her go, because they they had stated that, you know, she was just free to go. They didn't have anything to hold her or charge her with, but here again, she has been missing since, uh, since the early part of September of 2021. But we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and get into this conversation of how the media and law enforcement are failing uh, the missing people of color, but you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You know, before Boost, our phone bill was obscene. So we switched to Boost and got lines for the whole family with unlimited gigs for a much more family-friendly price. It's nice to have a phone bill that doesn't require parental controls. Your family deserves better. Get four lines for only $25 per line, each with unlimited gigs. Plus, get up to four free Samsung J7 perks with six months of Hulu where you can stream all the shows everyone is talking about. All on the super reliable and super fast nationwide network. Boost makes it easy to switch. Switching makes it easy to save.
Welcome back to the show. This is the Youth of Law broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network. If you missed any part of the broadcast, you can go to our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, to hear the rebroadcast of this show and other shows in its entirety. If you missed any part of the broadcast, if you want to have your own show, if you want to advertise with us, hit us up at labachelor forty at gmail.com labachelor40 at gmail.com um, Chief Green, I mean uh, let me just read something to you of the black and missing in America and these stats came out early this year keep that in mind early this year um, when you look at the stats 543 thousand eighteen people missing. Um almost forty percent of that is minority. I would think that the the number is even higher. The point is, as you said, we make up thirteen percent of the population. But we have forty percent of black men and women, specifically black women wake up and look, be careful. Uh they're missing so, um, we know the laws have to be changed in terms of um, going after those, uh, you know, even kids that are missing. Or you can explain how long they need to be missing to be checked or whatever, but you know, 24, 48 hours, 72 hours, nothing's going on and nothing happens, specifically happens to the uh, uh, media that wants to have sweet poly purebred caller, right? The the Karen um, that they want to run a story on, but if it's Shaquita or Karen or anybody else that look like us, then that's just another Negro that's gone, and there's no story behind it. And then on top of it, um, push back. In terms of you saying, in terms of law enforcement, you know, doing their due diligence. If if it's a high-profile case, I can't see law enforcement doing their due diligence because they want to settle the case. If the case is mainstream media saying, "Hey, Sweet Polly, purebred um, is missing. We need to run the story," then it seems as though, again, growing up in the hood, uh, chief, it seems as though that. That case is going to get high priority. But if there's some smaller case, then it doesn't seem, again, on the outside looking in, I'm not in law enforcement like you, but on the outside looking in, seems those resources are not in that 40% of those people of color that are missing, sir. Yeah, you're right, L.A. And I think, one. I mean, it raises a lot of questions when you – see numbers like that where, you know, you see over 89,000 people were reported missing in 2020, and 45% of those are are black women. And, you know, as you stated, uh, you know, those numbers probably are a little higher because of how uh, missing people are reported and how that agency may not list that person as a missing person 
for quite some time, and when they do, it may get lost in, in between everything else that's going on. So there's definitely some underreporting, and uh, uh, you, you've got uh, uh, a lot of people asking a lot of questions about uh, why is it that... Chief, let me ask you, is that under-reporting prostitution, druggers, people that they know, so they just like, okay, they're probably dead or they're probably this or they're probably that. Does those numbers go into that when they're looking at, you know, okay, in, in this black and brown community, you got smokers and you got this, that, and the other. Do, do, do you know if that plays into the numbers and why they don't, pursue and investigate certain cases based on um, those who might have been um, violated in, in, uh, to a, um, a heinous crime? Well, definitely, L.A., and I think, you know, one of the things that also play uh, that should be a part of this conversation is that when uh, law enforcement looks at uh, how does law enforcement because it all starts with the first interaction with the police, the uh, police officer in, in, in some type of law enforcement agency. Uh, how does that agency uh, put in place the initial investigation of a missing person? And if this is somebody who um, is homeless, or they've been involved in a, some type of domestic abuse uh, situation. Uh, they so you've got biases that are already created in the beginning of when women of color are reported missing. Even if it's an attractive young African American woman, there's biases that's already put in that's already there for the simple fact that when you look at other cases, just look at the uh, case out of Wyoming with, uh, with Gabby Petito where, you know, the law enforcement used, they deployed drones, they had helicopters, they had dogs, they had dozens and dozens of people looking for her uh, in this area. And so, but also in this same area in Wyoming, in the same state, you had hundreds of indigenous women who have been reported missing uh, from 2011 to 2020, and their disappearances received no such media attention, no such, you know, drones deployed, no such helicopters used, no dogs, no dozens of people uh, went out searching for these Native American women other than those families themselves, families and friends looking for, for them. And so definitely there is some, some biases that are uh, that play a role and should not play a role in how law enforcement investigates uh, missing women and missing men. And you know, I think this just goes back to another thing that we've talked about before, L.A., on, on our show, is the fact that, um, you know, how many people can 
say the name of a missing uh, woman of color. Um, you you can't, but you've got people who can who can instantly, if you say how many uh, women, how many white women can you name who have been missing, you can go to Gabby Petito, you can go to a whole lot of other different names, but you cannot remember one black uh, female or one Native American woman who has been reported missing. And so it's just like how does somebody just vanish? One day they're here, the next day they're gone. It just like the case that we're talking about with the lady out of uh, out of Oklahoma City. You know, after the police officers uh, let her go, she was seen in another community uh, some 20 miles away uh, in a store where she was, they determined that she had been in this store walking around for a good three or four hours. She gets in a car and she drives off. That is the last time she is seen which was on September the 5th of 2021, that is the last time she was seen uh, on, some, on a surveillance camera inside of a store. And so all of a sudden there was, you got to ask yourself, did law enforcement use drones, did they use helicopters, did they use dogs to, uh, to find her because her car was found abandoned along the side of a highway? So what resources did police uh, utilize to, to attempt to try to find where did she go and until you just, you know, ran out of, out, of, um, out of resources to or options to try to determine uh, what happened to her. So, uh, again, there's a lot of questions that are being asked by family members um, and even the public just as to why the police uh, are failing to fully investigate and make these cases really a priority because, again, when you share this information with the local news media, you know, it's upon them to, to run those uh, news stories. But even after this case here, you still find news media outlets across the country who they're still very silent when it comes to missing uh, people of color, uh, whether they be African-Americans or whether they be Native Americans. And so, you know, just like this whole, you know, this whole past year with all the violence that have occurred since Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, you know, Michael Brown, all the names can continue on. You can name all of those names, but we can name all those names, L.A. and our listeners, but we cannot name a single woman or a single indigenous woman who has been reported missing in this country. And that is because of the uh, lack of local news media coverage. And you would think on a local level you would get that urgency from your local news to really cover this. And, you know, you have to also ask yourself, when we have other black outlets, whether it, you know, black radio, how much uh, information is our black radio stations putting out across the country? You know, you've got 
you know, the Ricky Smiley Morning Show. You've got uh, the Steve Harvey Show. You've got all these well-known syndicated uh, shows that a lot of black people listen to every single day. But how much attention do these outlets provide? So this, you know, this isn't just something that's on the the news media, local news media, and national news media as your your CNN, your MSNBCs. This is also on our community. How many times do you hear our black radio stations talking about uh, missing? Uh, people of color in the missing Native American women who who go uh, reported missing. So there's not a lot of conversation even in our own community about what's going on with these cases and how do you get these uh, uh, cases put back into the spotlight because if they're not in the spotlight, there's definitely um, outlets that could uh, put these cases back in the spotlight, and and I think that's one of the reasons that we're talking about this here on on our podcast show, is the fact that we've got a platform that people around the country are listening, and they may not know about this this lady who was been missing uh, in Oklahoma City since September of 2021, or they may not know about Deidre Reed who has been missing uh, since September the the third of 2021. But guys, we're coming up and uh, going to take our next break. But when we come out of this break, we're going to get back into the conversation of how the news media and law enforcement is failing uh, our missing uh, people of color. But you're listening to You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for media flu. media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Broadcast on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Keep in mind, if you miss any part of this broadcast, here's what you have to do. Just type in the T-H-E Bachelor with a T BachelorNews.AirTime.Pro The BachelorNews.AirTime.Pro You and the Law Broadcast airs weekly every single day so you can catch the broadcast, including this show. Um, uh, Chief, I did get a question from someone which makes a lot of sense and that is you know um, when you look at law enforcement following the lead of the law or not acting on it um, how do you determine what is uh, done and then the second part of it is I guess I would say that when you look at you know 
the law across the country, um, how does one separate themselves as law enforcement to human beings? You guys had talked about it. We talked about, you know, being, you know, you can't, you can't legislate someone's heart. They're going to do what they want to do. So how does, how does that play into it in terms of making sure that you call in for what it is? You have the courage, black law enforcement, right? Courage to come out and speak out and do the right thing. Well, in, in L.A., and I think that's really important that we have this conversation because, again, uh, you have to look at how does society look at uh, people of color. Uh, and, and you would have to say that society isn't concerned about all women, uh, especially when it comes to black and, and indigenous women and, and other women of color. Uh, and so when you've got a uh, a part of our criminal justice system, which is law enforcement, and everything starts at the beginning, just, just like with every other situation, whether it be a missing person, whether it be uh, a police officer pulls somebody over on a traffic stop, whether it be a police officer responding to a home for domestic violence uh, that, or police officers responding to a home with domestic violence between, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community, and there is biases there. So we we talked about, you know, implicit bias and explicit bias a lot on our show, and you know you hear law enforcement talk about, hey, we provided. Uh, implicit bias training. We provide different other uh, bias trainings to, to, to train officers to um, to uh, separate those biases. And, and honestly, LA, I, there is no training. If, if people really actually believe that you can go sit in a classroom for eight hours. Uh, one day and eight hours the next day. And so in 16 hours, you're going to really change your opinions. You're going to change your biases, all because you sit in the class for 16 hours, and this class is is giving you some tools to say, you know, uh, you need to change some of your behaviors. Do you really think people are going to really change their their, their opinions? No, they're not. You know, and I think we we often fooled ourselves, and I think that's a part of the issue with law enforcement is the fact that, you know, we can say, well, we sent all these officers over here to this uh, to to this racial bias training, and uh, but what happens after that? They go right back into their same the same routines of how they treat people, and this is a, another clear example of how law enforcement uh, in a lot of situations because they are the first contact with a family member uh, who is reporting their family member as being missing. And so we put a lot of resources into silver alerts. And if people don't know what a silver alert is, uh, every state 
has uh, a silver alert when there's a missing elderly person goes missing. You see the the, the boards across the your highways giving you a description of the car, the tag number of the car, and to be on the lookout for this for this person. You don't see that same information when we have people who are missing. So, and I'm going to go back, L.A., and to our listeners, the fact that with this young, with the 60-year-old that was missing in Oklahoma uh, back in September, if that had been put up on a highway display board where hundreds and thousands of people would have saw this information with her name, the type of vehicle that she was in, uh, a description about her, but that information, that resources was not utilized. And so you have to ask yourself, why do we, we know there is a need for it, especially when a senior citizen goes missing, but why isn't the same type of, of, um, of, of resources put into when people are reported missing by a family member? And, again, we shouldn't judge the simple fact that when you say, well, um, she has, he or she has an alcohol problem or a drug problem, uh, they've got mental health issues or whatever, and now you're going to, again, uh, separate this person because of the lifestyle that they are living and say, well, we're not going to put all those resources into trying to find this person because this has happened before. Yeah, but Just she, like the, with the, the thing is, the only thing I would say to you is that um, it's, it's a little different because your topic is, you know, how law enforcement and the media is treating, you know, black people. So there's elderly people, there's people with issues, there's the other stuff. We all fall in that category. So... You know, we black meaning mental issues. We black being elderly and delinquent, uh, and all those things. We're black being whatever. So, if if these media people are not going to promote it, if you will, or, or talk about it to help those who are missing, and then law enforcement doesn't back up, what is your solution? Well, and, and, and my solution would be LA is to for the black community to utilize the voices that we have. Don't be silent about it. Don't wait for your local news media. Don't wait for CNN or MSNBC or any other news outlet to talk about these uh, women who are missing and and men who are missing. Uh, you've got a lot of uh, uh, talk radio, uh, which is a lot of people listen to it across the country. A lot of people listen to, to podcast shows. There, there are other forms of, of social media that could be utilized, but you don't just wait for your local news to, to talk about this missing woman or this missing man or this missing senior citizen or or this missing child because there's even a lot of missing kids that go uh that are never found and we you got to also put into this conversation 
when you have an attractive woman who is missing, does that involve sex trafficking? And so, um, but there again, L.A., to your question, black, the black community, the Native American community, the Latino community, utilize the resources that you have and to get out the message about these women and these men and these children who go missing because nobody should just up and just disappear and not be seen forever again. And and so here we are over going into five or six months when this lady uh, here in Oklahoma City has been missing, uh, the Deidre Reed, who has been missing since September of 2021, 20, um, she has not been found. And so you have to ask yourself, what else, are we utilizing all the resources that we have within the black community? Are these conversations being had on Sundays in our churches with our communities? You know, again, there's a lot of things that that we uh, could be doing, but we we're not doing it, and I think, and and hopefully with this platform, that the people who are listening to this show and who will listen to the rebroadcast of this show will take some time in your communities, wherever you're at, whether you're in New Jersey, whether you're in Phoenix, Arizona, Oklahoma City, Little Rock, Arkansas, wherever you're at, and you're listening to this, get involved with organizations who are utilizing their resources to find uh, missing people of color. Because, again, we can sit back and and let other people try to uh, say, hey, we're out here, we're looking, we're searching, but, you know, we're, we're not finding anybody. And I just find it really hard to believe L.A. And let's, you know, things do happen, but how is it that somebody – can just vanish, and nobody will ever see them again. And so, and families are left with struggling, trying to understand where did the system break down at? Where did the law enforcement system break down at? Where did the mental health system break down at? And and how is it that nobody knew about these these women and these men who go missing? And you know there was. Uh, several, there was a high-profile case involving a young man whose mother, uh, she didn't feel like she was getting the, uh, the answers that she was getting from her local police, and she went to the FBI. The FBI kind of treated her the same way. And so, um, you know, there again, it's, it, and I think L.A., when this Gabby Petito deal happened, there were it put a spotlight on the missing black men and black women who people didn't know their names and all of a sudden you had the news media coming out about cases that were uh missing people who were who had happened in September or October or July whatever month it may have been, but they did not receive that same uh, type of news, news coverage. So, uh, again, we have to utilize every resources that we have to talk about this conversation and to keep it 
in the minds of, of, of everybody. And, you know, L.A., I think, you know, a lot of people years ago, the, you would see milk cartons with people uh, missing people's name on it, or you can go into a grocery store and you would see a board that have would have people's uh, uh, pictures on there that they were missing. You don't really see that a, a lot um, because of social media. And so, uh, again, I think it's upon everyone to really utilize the resources that we have to talk about uh, when people do go missing and how these cases are not in the spotlight, but how do you put them in the spotlight? Because when we talk about this case here in Oklahoma with this uh, 60-year-old that's been missing since, since September, I hope this is not the last time we're going to talk about this on our uh, uh, podcast show. Because, again, the more we talk about it, the more uh, people will be aware of this lady is missing, and they will see her picture. Somebody knows where this lady is at, and you just don't just abandon your car and just disappear. Uh, I'm sorry. There, there is, there has to be some answers. Uh, and this is, this isn't just for the family to find out. This should be for all of us uh, to, to try to. How could we uh, utilize the, the uh, resources that we have? to do so because, again, this could happen to any of us, L.A. It could happen to, you know, our, our grandkids. It could happen to our daughters. It could happen to our sons. Uh, so just because it hasn't happened to you and your family does not mean that this isn't something that uh, you should get involved with. And so uh, because there's a lot of you know, when you look at the numbers, LA, you know, we put out that 45 percent, you know, over 89,000 people are missing in this country. It, but 45 percent of those are African Americans. That is a really high number, especially when we only make up 13 percent of the population in the United States. Well, let me just so, ask you real quick because we're running out of time. I know you want to um, get done, but. Um, so how, how do you how do you fix that? If you have law enforcement that's not in their heart, if you don't have um, legislation that's pushing the law, if you don't have people, or you have people looking at people of color like, okay, women are prostitutes, men are homeless, we don't need them, they'll just die off. How do you fix that, Chief? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, and I think how do you fix it again? It's it's how do you put how does the black community and how does the Native American community, how does the Latino community, how does each of our minority communities come together to utilize the resources that we have to make sure that when somebody goes missing that there is and not just yeah, law enforcement has to put that information out. They have to report that person missing. But utilize the resources that you have. Utilize social media. Put together, and again, I think this is where, and I may be kind of jumping all around, but I think it is really important that other organizations get involved with missing people of color. 
whether it's our churches, whether it's our our black legislators, because you, you mentioned, you know, legislation and laws. There's already laws on the books that are meant to make sure that these things are fully investigated. So to say that you need to add more laws onto it is not going to really help anything. But you've got to make sure that uh, law enforcement follows through with what they're supposed to be doing, but you also need to make sure that you can utilize other resources to look for to, to look for your loved ones. Uh, but L.A., as you say, you know, we're coming up on the, the last uh, few minutes of the show. Uh, definitely want to thank everybody for tuning in to our uh, broadcast show and remind you that if you're not following you in the law, you need to go to our Facebook page, like us, follow us at you and the law one on Facebook and on Instagram at you and the law, underscore in the law. And if you're on Twitter, we're on you and the law one on Twitter. Uh, but this is a conversation that we're definitely going to have once again because I think it's really important that we talk about uh, the missing people of color and what we can do to put more spotlight on this uh, topic. But, Again, we want to thank you for tuning in to the show and definitely tune back in next Tuesday for another live uh, episode of You and the Law on the Bachelor News Radio Network.